0: This is the official Sasta podcast brought to you by me, Harry Stebbings at H Stebbings on Snapchat and Jason Lemkin at JasonLK on Twitter. Now it's Friday, which means tonight is Mojito time here at Sasta, but we want you to join me and Jason for Mojito time at Sasta annual 2017. So when you buy your tickets for Sasta, simply enter the promo code drinks with Harry, those three words drinks with Harry, and you'll get a free happy hour. Thanks to the kind bank of Mr. Jason Lemkin. And then you'll also get a whopping 20% off the ticket price. I'd absolutely love to see you there. However, to the show today, and we welcome one of the most exciting SaaS founders of the day, Josh Reeves. Now, Josh is the founder and CEO at Gusto. Gusto reimagines payroll, benefits, HR, and personal finance, and it's this reimagination that's led to their recent addition to the Unicorn Club, with investors including Google Capital, Kleiner Perkins, Data Collective, and General Catalyst, just to name a few. As for Josh, he was selected for the 2012 Forbes 30 Under 30 list, and prior to co-founding Gusto, he was the CEO and co-founder of Un. Wrap, a SaaS startup which was acquired in 2010, and he began his career as an early employee at Zazzle. I'd also like to give a big hand to Jason Lemkin and to Phil Libin at General Catalyst for the intro to Josh today, so appreciate that, without which the interview would not have happened. But enough from me, and I'm now delighted to hand over to Josh Reeves, founder and CEO at Gusto. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Josh, absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today. Huge thanks to Jason Lemkin for the intro, but thank you so much for joining me today, Josh. It's wonderful to be here. Now, talk to me, Josh. HR, payroll, and benefits aren't considered the sexiest problems to solve. So, what was the inspiration for starting Gusto and and the aha moment for you?
1: Yeah, the uh, aha moment for us, as you said. For me, it really comes down to personal experience. I can think of two catalysts, probably. One is there's three founders of Gusto. We had all run prior businesses. So, we had used other products and services and had been frustrated with that experience. Uh, So, that was one catalyst. We kind of felt the pain in our selves and wanted to go fix it. Uh, and then the second is that we each have a family that have helped run small business. So uh, my co-founder, Eddie, his mother runs a small doctor's office in LA. Uh, my other co-founder, Tomer, his father runs a small clothing shop in Haifa, Israel. And my mother-in-law runs payroll actually. So that was a coincidence. We didn't realize that connection, but that gave us exposure to this problem. And i always describe, you know, startup, a business exists, doesn't, it's not there for the sake of it. It exists because there's a problem it's trying to fix. And for us, we, we realized this was a big problem that not just we were affected by our family was affected by but a lot of people were affected by and we got excited about fixing it
0: and and, and i've heard you say before that you live and breathe how a company itself is built so i'd love to discuss the internal organization that you have at gusto and, and how it's altered with the incredible growth that you've seen over the last 18 months or so
1: yeah one thing i always say is that uh, every six months a company becomes a new company roles become new roles and as he alluded to we now serve in over 40,000 businesses across the U.S. So with that growth over the last three and a half years, we've definitely had to keep reinventing ourselves. Uh, To me, there's a couple of ways to approach that. Definitely no one is perfect. We'll make our fair share of mistakes. But understanding our core value system, what we stand for, what our philosophy is, which actually should not change whether we're three, 300, or 500, or 5,000, that's been important. So we spent quite a bit of time on that early on in terms of creating a framework, a guide for what
0: we stand for. In terms of kind of the core exec churning, I often hear people and founders say, you know, the the co-founder or the early employee who you have at ten employees won't always be there for the scaling to a hundred. Do you agree with the the kind of inevitable churn of the core exec?
1: Yeah, I don't think there can be any kind of sweeping generalization. Uh, our ideal, my ideal, is always for someone to grow, to develop, uh, to keep. Uh, startup life is a joy because. I describe it as uh, it's like running a train at 90 miles an hour while building the train while laying the tracks. And so you're going through this constant process of both executing and serving your customer, making their life better. But also, um, you have to figure out what your gaps are and how you want to keep filling those because each person has to go through a lot of growth themselves. So, I don't think there's any formula. I think uh, organizations should have a point of view for us. you know, We want to enable people to grow as much as possible. We want to give them those tools, those resources. We have uh, various training programs. And also, at times, it'll be necessary for us to bring on someone who brings uh, some additional perspective, has seen a certain problem before. and that's Also something to be celebrated. I call those two concepts first principles thinking and pattern matching. And both are really, really important. First principles thinking is how you lead to insight on something being done in a totally different way. In our context, you know, HR payroll benefits is definitely the core of what we do. We call that gusto. It's a people platform platform but Tomer, Eddie, and I had never worked in HR payroll or benefits. We approached this much more through the lens of being previous business owners, being previous employees, and that's given us a chance to think about the problem differently. We're not here to just build a better, faster, cheaper version of what already exists. We're really trying to figure out how to solve the problem way better than it's ever been solved before. Um, But as we've grown, obviously, there's some folks we can add to the team. My colleague, Lexi Reese, is a great example. She came to us from Google a year ago, who has helped build strong, leadership teams. And she's been an incredible complement and partner to me as we think through scaling Gusto to where we are today, which is over 350
0: people. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts on where and when you think it's kind of appropriate to add uh, highly experienced people in a certain field and then the very young, very recent graduates but who are super passionate. Where do you think and when do you think at the scaling journey it's appropriate for, for both those hires?
1: Yeah, I think it, it really does tie to the business. Maybe the best advice i can give is to think about it bottoms up right i think silicon valley especially but tech too because it's such a dynamic industry can get caught up in this idea of like hiring is a good thing one of the sayings i share with a company is that more people equals more work getting done doesn't always equal better work getting done so my advice there is to really think about for every single role and position being created um, whether it's an executive who's experienced whether it's adding another engineer to the team like what is the purpose of this hire are we filling a need are we trying to do more of something that's already working or are we just hiring because it sounds good to have amazing new people here. That latter reason is not a really good reason because ultimately uh, there has to be some meaningful impact on the business. There has to be some hypothesis on what they're going to do and help with. Otherwise, you can be very bloated and kind of have too many people involved really quickly and that can slow down decision making. So bottoms up
0: hiring is really, really important. So say we do discover that we do need to hire some more engineers for the team or more salespeople for the team uh, and we're going to start the process. I'd love to hear your thoughts then on optimizing the interview process. What do you think makes a great interview and, and how should it be structured?
1: Yeah, I think first there's kind of the philosophy. What is an interview? An interview is about finding alignment with someone. You know, in my opinion, people are not, companies are not trying to convince someone to join. Them. Individuals are not trying to convince a company to hire them. It's a search for alignment because great people always have many choices with what they do with their time. And great companies always have many choices with who they hire. So for us, that alignment process kind of falls into three buckets. Um, we have one big bucket that we call shared value which I can talk about in a sec we have one called aligned motivations which is about the person's interest in this specific problem this market this customer we're here to serve and then the third is having a relevant skill set and a lot of times people ignore the first two values and motivation focus on skill set and if we were to only hire for skill set we would not really have a core philosophy anymore those first two pieces values and motivation are what enable us to grow in a way where we maintain consistency on how we want to build gusto we talk about having these big goals, these huge, lofty ambitions, but being proud of how we achieve those goals ties back to the way we hire around values in particular. And we have six core values in the company that we've had since we were just three people. Uh, you're never going to see those on our wall. You're never going to see them uh, on our t shirt or anything. To me, you really live your values or you don't. And you don't have professional or personal values you have one core set of values and it really is tied to how you were raised who you spend time with and there aren't right or wrong values the thing is every company should spend the time and figure out what they stand for what they're authentic to what they're opinionated around and then have that be a guide for how they hire so that when someone joins they can just be themselves That's the biggest goal of hiring is not to try to change someone when they join, in my opinion. It's for them to join and feel like this is a community they already connect with from many, many different backgrounds. I mean, these values are more of a philosophy than any type of skill set experience or uh, set of life moments.
0: We we mentioned alignment there, uh, and that's kind of the key to hiring. Great people have lots of options. Great companies have lots of options. Say we've discovered the perfect candidate and we want to hire them. Uh, How do we look to make offers? What's the right process for this? and, And how can we optimize this response with candidates? So, I think
1: offers themselves are, number one, a really celebratory moment. Um, for Gusto, we actually... I used to make every offer up to about 50, 60 people, and that obviously doesn't scale, so I, I now have some great teammates that I trust who are hiring for various teams. But we actually, just to share how we do it, we have a few people on the call, people that were part of the conversation, and we literally treat it like a celebration. So, we have three four, you know, people call you, we kind of cheer and celebrate. We tell you that we have really are just so super excited to make you an offer because it means we found someone who shares our values, aligns with our motivations, and has a relevant skill set. Um, and that's, that's a huge part of it for us. It feels very authentic, and many folks really enjoy it. Now, in terms of logistics, uh, one of our core values is transparency. So we really think it's important. Definitely nuts and bolts-wise, you know, we give equity to employees. That's really important. We want them to be owners in the business. But explaining what that looks like, um, whether it's uh, not just the share count, the number of shares outstanding, the share price, the valuation of the business, communicating the financials, kind of the state of the company, and then obviously being available to answer any questions. We think that's really important as well so that someone can
0: make an informed decision. In terms of timing, I always have, uh, because of the business I'm in, I often have kind of uh, MBA grads saying it's been a week since my interview with a VC and I haven't heard back from them. In terms of the time frame, do you think there's an optimal timeframe Frame and, and do you think it's important to sustain communication throughout that time frame and say, you know, we're still discussing it internally and we'll get back to you shortly? What, what, do you, what are your thoughts on those two elements? I think it's just really important to be direct, right? I think people kind of get
1: into this mindset sometimes of trying to figure out what is best or what is, you know, the optimal approach. The truth is usually the best answer to that. So if someone was the first candidate for a position, but there's a couple other folks in the pipeline and the company wants to finish those conversations to really make the best decision, um, I would be very direct with the candidate and just communicate that we have a few other folks in the pipeline. It's going to take another week to go through it and we're really excited about them. we we'll really want to make sure that we are thorough and uh, understand that we're finding the right person for this role. That's just exactly the truth. And I found that many people really appreciate kind of just knowing what's going on. Definitely, we want to get back to people quickly. We want to respect their time. Really great candidates are usually not on the market for very long. Yeah. But um, I think when people get caught up in the kind of game theory aspect of it and thinking about having offers that expire really quickly or things like that, it almost becomes disrespectful. Like to me, this is a big life decision for both the company and the person. You want to give them the time to make it, talk to family, friends. Now, if someone wants, you know, two months to think about it, that's obviously a pretty bad sign. If uh, they're pretty excited, that should be done much faster. Again, I would just avoid the game theory aspect. Be direct, be open, share what the status is. And if the hiring process itself has gotten bogged down, you know, that's a good reason to refactor the whole process, much like the whole company needs to be um, thought of as a new company every six months. So it could be the need to build out a recruiting team, have a coordinator to help make sure that uh, scheduling is done correctly. Uh, What is the role of the hiring manager? What is the role
0: of the recruiter? Those are things that also should be pretty fleshed out. And in terms of kind of creating that shared ownership culture, you said there about uh, giving equity to employees. Uh, And we recently had a Wealthfront CEO, Adam Nash, on the show. And he said the unique element of Silicon Valley Companies is ownership culture that's instilled within everyone. I'm in tr- interested to hear how important you feel. Kind of that internal entrepreneurialism is is for you with gusto and gusto. Sorry, <laughs> uh, and how it plays out in your management style. No worries at all. Uh, we uh, we love our name. Um, for us, gusto is is all
1: about you know to, to give you that context so it stays with you. Names names are just vessels. I always say you have to fill a vessel with meaning by serving your customer well, but but. Gusto is all about when people do their work they love, they're good at, that's Gusto. When someone starts a company from scratch, that's Gusto. So, Gusto. But to your question, uh, Adam Nash is actually one of our angel investors. Really, really great individual. I'm proud to have him involved. I didn't know Um, that actually, to be fair. So, the uh, ownership mentality, um, again, I think there's probably two huge parts to it. And um, one, Adam alluded to and and I alluded to, which is the equity we can give an employee um, that literally, you know, it's an option, but gives them the chance to own a part of the business. Uh, And I think many companies do that. And that obviously aligns economic outcomes. But the second bucket, I think many people overlook, which is that it turns someone literally into an owner of the company. And if you want to have them think that way, you have to empower them as such, right? It's not just giving equity and saying, now you're an owner, go. The organization should also be run with that philosophy in mind. So one thing we do is, you know, every two weeks we have all-hand meetings. I go through a lot of different financials, things like revenue, Uh, Things like unit economics, gross margin, CAC, cost of acquisition, things like cash balance. Uh, These are things that I want every single person in the company to understand because this is their business. And one of the ways that really manifests is you know people tend to operate on smaller teams they're more full stack uh, and not just full stack engineering you can be full stack marketing full stack sales and it's less about just doing something because it's the way it's been done it's constantly asking why you know that's kind of one way i joke about it is channel your inner four or five year old and if you see something that doesn't make sense or something that just was you know shared with you as a project for you to work on and you don't understand why it's being done that way or why it uh, is even being created as a project ask why and oftentimes you'll find out in a startup that uh, it needs to change it needs to improve you know if uh, it was done a specific way and you think that was really well researched it might have been josh two in the morning three years ago just deciding to do it that way and by asking why now you're an owner you're going to improve it you're going to make it better so that repetition cycle is super valuable because whatever worked previously may not work anymore Um, and that's one of the ways the ownership mentality makes a huge
0: difference are there any challenges that you face in terms of creating that internal entrepreneurialism with the with the scaling of the company to over three hundred people now. So I think there's lots
1: of, of puzzles along the way. You know, we've been very deliberate since the early days on kind of what is our core philosophy? What do we stand for? And a lot of that's based on our own personal experience. I mean, I definitely, to describe a personal chapter, um, had a prior company that I would describe today as a very reactive company. Uh, it was 2008, 2010. Uh, we were building kind of uh, an app ecosystem on top of Facebook. And we had millions of users. We had thousands of dollars a day in ad revenue. But um, it was really unclear what problem we were trying to fix. It was really unclear what our purpose was. It was more of just an optimization to make more ad revenue. And that sounds good, but it kind of felt like there was a big gap or a big hole. And I described that whole chapter as reactive because we didn't have really a due north or a purpose or something we're working towards that had a 5, 10, 20 year goal attached to it. It was more of, Hey, let's just keep making as much ad revenue as we can. And it was part of why we decided to sell that business and, um, I took a lot of introspection, a lot of thinking, a couple of months of just figuring out like what was missing, what was wrong, definitely in the broad scheme of things, uh, first world problems. But one of the conclusions I had from that was, you know, the problem itself, like it being something that I could talk about, think about kind of obsess over, uh, that's what matters most to me if I'm going to be spending decades working on something. And so my co-founders actually went through a similar experience and that is what led all of us to kind of come together and build Gust of the way we are definitely we won't be perfect um, by any stretch but um, having a lot of strong opinions around culture values philosophy has been there from day one
0: because of our prior experiences and i'd love to dive into a quick fire round we call 60 seconds sasta so i say a short statement and you give me your thoughts in 60 seconds per one how does that sound that sounds good so let's do fomo uh, fear of missing out what to do with it so fomo Uh, I think college, you know, when we're younger, it's actually
1: really good to have this kind of FOMO type curiosity because it lets you explore, discover, try many new things, kind of be interested in like seeing as much as possible. And then as we get older, it's really important to let go of FOMO and realize, and I've been on this journey, that there's only a few things I really, really care about. And the more I can focus on those things, the better I'll be at them. And so Gusto, for example, is something I hope to do for many, many decades to come, Uh, obviously family is very important. I got married last year. Um, these are things that I want to spend more time on and I'm happy to let go of the FOMO and have many other things not be my focus.
0: And what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started?
1: I mean, I would say if I go back several years, what I wish I knew was kind of what I was describing earlier, how important it is to really care about, believe in the mission, the problem that I'm trying to tackle. It took me several years to figure that out. And with Gusto, it's been in place. But like I said earlier in life, it was more of something that I was looking for. And one of my advice points to another entrepreneur on that is to imagine it's the 10,000th time you're describing what you're doing and think about, will you be as sincerely and authentically excited as the first time? And if you aren't, then perhaps what you're
0: doing is not a mission for you. It's more of an optimization or a job. The biggest mistake current SaaS companies are enacting with their HR process? Might not just be SaaS companies, but many
1: others too. Um, I think HR for us, I mean, we are an HR payroll benefits company we call it gusto. The really interesting thing for us as we spent more time in the industry is that even the terminology, you know, human capital management, human resources, even ADP standing for automated data processing, it's a very transactional way of describing a human being. Right? This isn't about human resources. This is about relationships between employers and employees, between employees and employees. So there's a really important compliance piece there that, that we think it needs to stay really important. But the whole other part about it of being, these life moments, how you craft an offer for someone, how you celebrate someone's first day on the job, how someone feels when they get paid. Are they feeling appreciated for their work? How you enable someone to have professional growth and get promoted in an effective way. Um, these are all things that are actually really at the core of HR and that's been lost in many ways. We want to bring that back and I think every company uh, generally wants to bring that back because it's how you enable a company to be not just you know, a know, and statement but also be a community of people working towards a common goal. And then final quickfire,
0: how do you ensure a great first day for your employee? So a great first
1: day should have a couple ingredients and again some are specific to Gusto number one it is an incredibly celebratory moment this is a person joining us on this journey so we really want to make them feel special in terms of even just when they walk through the door make sure they're really welcomed at Gusto we have a tradition where we take our shoes off in the office which is a little bit unique Um, so we actually make sure the person takes their shoes off when they come in it's a very comfortable space Uh, and then mostly it's learning. Uh, Many people joining us are new to the whole industry so it's not just the first day but a few weeks of learning about the business. I do a workshop with them that shares more about our values, our our mission, our strategy and we really want them to be able to learn, get into the flow of things and also get to
0: know the people and realize that we're all here for the same reason. Absolutely and then final question but not a quick fire and it's touching on NPS scores and their relevance in today's society. I know gusto have an nps score of 75 so big congrats on that but i, I want to ask on the relevance of it and what your argument is for thinking that it is still relevant when when many are potentially saying that it's not
1: yeah so we definitely believe in nps being really really important and it's a really for us an indicator of are we doing our job right because We didn't start Gusto for the sake of it. We started it to go fix a problem, serve our customer. And NPS is literally us knowing, are we on track in terms of making our customer's life better? And so it's something we've tracked since we launched the product. And uh, I think it's something that every company really should take a look at, whether it's the exact metric of NPS or something similar, and that's for each business to choose. But the metrics I most look at every day are, are, you know, what's our growth like? How many companies are we adding? And then are we delivering on what? we say we'll do for them. And think that's just a good reminder. You know, SAS has this word service in it, right? Software as a service. I love that word because we're here to serve our customer. That's why we exist. And it's not us being a tool. They are choosing us as a partner. We are taking one of these, you know, 5 out of the 20 hats off their head. And then if we do it well, they're paying us a subscription on an ongoing basis because of that work we're doing. So again, NPS to me is uh, something the whole company can and should be aware of, and we celebrate it. We have a Slack channel, um, different uh, responses come in, and we try to look and see what the different trends are. And we also don't take it for granted. I mean, we've been in the 75, 80-plus range for a long time. And we also know that uh, we have to keep getting better, keep improving. Otherwise,
0: it won't stay that way. Josh, I have to say a huge thank you for giving up the time today to appear on the show. It really was so fantastic to hear the journey from you, having had so much from Jason and Phil. So thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it's my pleasure. A big hand to Josh today for giving up his time to appear on the show and absolutely incredible to hear the scaling journey of Gusto and so much luck to him for the future. And a huge hand to Jason Lemkin and Phil Libin for the introduction to Josh today without which the interview could not have happened. And if you love Sasta and the show then you can head over to the site sasta.com that's S-A-A-S-T-R.com where you can find a whole host of incredible articles from Jason and more podcast episodes. Also if you want to join me and Jason for Mojitos at Sasta Annual 2017 all you need to do is enter the promo code Harry. those three words, Drinks with Harry, and you'll get a staggering 20% off the ticket price and free mojitos courtesy of Jason Lemkin's bank. But as always, we so appreciate your support. It means so much that you tune in. You can always send me feedback, harry at the20minutevc.com. I love to hear from you, and I look very forward to bringing you next week's episodes.